Hey folks, uh, thanks for tuning back in. This is the third video now on my channel. Today what we're going to talk about is uh, we're going to attempt to define the word philosophy. And in order to do that, we're going to pick two other terms to compare and contrast it to. And we're going to take the three together and we're going to attempt to define a set uh, pattern of definition between the three. There doesn't seem to be much consensus on what philosophy is or how you under, how we understand what philosophy is. This is one of the reasons I decided I had to make a definition for myself because there is no common agreement. So you're picking, you have to pick, pick sides somewhere and I decided to, that I would have to do that. I would have to make a definition for myself. So that's kind of the background for how I started developing this idea that I'm sharing with you now about what is philosophy and how do you think about philosophy. We're going to define philosophy by um, relating it to these two other concepts and we're going to fix the three into a dynamic pattern. And so really what we're going to try to do in the language of philosophy is that we're going to try to triangulate it. So in a triangulation uh, is a sort of semantic way of assigning definition and assigning meaning to things to symbols more, I guess, specifically. Um, so you take three symbols and you define them in a fixed way. So in a triangulation pattern, one of the symbols that we're dealing with def uh, defined as a thesis, a second symbol defined as its antithesis, and then in between the thesis and antithesis, which are two, it's a dialectic, it's two opposing opposites, you have a third term, which is the synthesis. This third term is the element that is the mechanism by which one, the thesis is able to interact with the antithesis and vice versa. So think of a magnet with two poles. One pole is the positive, that's we call it the thesis. And one pole negative, we call it the antithesis. So they each require each other, they define each other. In order for the uh, positive pole to interact with the negative pole, you need to have a third mechanism. And that third mechanism is a sort of idea of a magnetic field or a structure and a flow process that allows one to interact and go into the other. So that's what we're gonna to try to do with our term philosophy is we're gonna to try to situate it within a thesis, antithesis, synthesis structure. The tactic I wanna to use to define philosophy is I'm gonna do three different triangulations. Um, so I'm going to do three different triangulated patterns that I, I'm going to include philosophy as one of the three elements. And actually, in each one, I'm going to position philosophy in the role of the synthesis. So I'm going to define three sets of dialectics, uh, and then for each one, I'm going to posit uh, philosophy as a synthesis. And then I'm going to use this kind of simple framework for organizing our thinking about philosophy. So I think it's a very good framework. And so we're going to get into that in this video. Okay, so the first triangulated pattern that I want to situate uh, philosophy into as we try to define it is going to be uh, in between ontology and the other one is epistemology. So ontology is a description or a statement of what is true. And a statement like, um, daytime is associated with the sun, nighttime is associated with the moon. A statement like that is an ontological statement. I'm trying to state something factual about reality. So an ontological statement is, is a statement about what is true. 
or what someone interprets to be true. So this concept of interpretation um, and the fact that statements are made by individuals who are trying to interpret, that factor of interpretation is now getting into the concept of epistemology. So ontology is a statement of what is true, and epistemology is a statement of how do we know what is true. And when we start to factor in the consideration of how do we know the things that we state that we know, we have to then begin to factor in the fact that we as individuals are factors in our own interpretations and judgments of the world. So we tend to project whatever current state of understanding we have onto the universe. So the things that we see as being true of reality are really more reflective of how we understand and interpret what truth is as individual beings. So our own individuality becomes a factor in our analysis. So ontology and epistemology are two sort of inverse concepts that require each other. We can never make a positive statement about what's true without also knowing and considering how do we come to those statements? Why do we think those things are true? And how do we justify uh, our own concepts about what is true? It can be easy to fall into a line of thinking where you accept ideas as literal truths rather than as uh, the products of frameworks of interpretation. And I think, I think what's happening is that people are um, making the mistake of assuming that certain theories and ideas are literal factual truths rather than uh, the products of hypotheses. This idea about what is truth and how do we understand and model truth, is, we're really talking about a dynamic assessment of what's the difference between ontology and epistemology. So those are the two opposing factors. So let's talk about philosophy. In my interpretation, philosophy is the sort of synthesis or middle ground. So a philosopher is trying to understand what is true and always factoring in how does he know and how can he approach truth. So what is philosophy? Philosophy is the applied uh, integration of ontology and epistemology and you're applying it towards life, towards your own life and towards your participation in a greater life. So that's what a philosopher tries to do, is they try to, in a sense, perfect the art of their own life perfect the art of living for themselves, but that is something that is something that you do on your own, but you also do as an act of sort of service uh, to the collective that you're, you're embedded in, that you're a part of. The path of a philosopher is actually a full life thing that you have to apply into whatever unique circumstance of life that you're living in. And so the philosophy is the, is the applied art and science of life, I guess I would say. And that's what a philosopher is trying to do. And so philosophy is a sort of self-unfoldment that you do as an applied art and science, uh, which takes form as a sort of integration or synthesis um, of ideas that you start to build and hold about what is true about reality, certain sets of ideas about uh, the part that the, or the role that the individual plays within a greater universal scheme. You're also integrating ideas about uh, sort of how do you perfect the sort of flow of energy and the experience of consciousness within the individual self, within the individual being. So there's a collective and an individual aspect to it. Um, so that's my first method of triangulating, trying to define what philosophy is. So now we're going to move on to the second one. Okay, so the next thesis, antithesis, synthesis framework that we're going to put philosophy in as we try to define and expand 
uh, our understanding about what is philosophy, what is the meaning of it, and purpose of it, and how should we think about it as we organize our thoughts. But think about it as a map and a territory. So let's think of the territory as this idea of reality. There's one reality, one territory. We're all sharing it in common. We're all experiencing this one thing. But each of us is locked into an interpretation where we only experience a sort of cognitive map of it. So we're continuously putting together a cognitive map of what this reality is. And all of us are trying to do it. And really, it should be, uh, I think, treated as a shared collective enterprise to try to build a type of map uh, that allows us to live in sort of harmony and peace and sustainability with the world that we live in. And the world that we live in is not just the world of nature, it's also the world of other people. So in the second way of defining philosophy, here we're going to look at science and religion as thesis and antithesis. And we're going to look at philosophy as the synthesis. So in the first sort of triangulation framework that we went over, we looked at ontology and epistemology. And I'm going to say in this framework that we're building right now that uh, we're going to define um, religion and science as two different epistemological branches that the philosopher utilizes and engages with as they attempt to build a model of reality, which is the ontological model. So the way we're going to look at uh, the difference between religion and science is going to take into account the, what we already just defined in terms of difference between ontology and epistemology. So religion and science are two different epistemological pathways that we attempt to gain and receive knowledge about what is true and we attempt to organize that knowledge as philosophers we're attempting to perfect the art of our own lives. So in order to act intelligently in the world, we have to have a, some kind of map about what is true of that world. That map is the ontological framework that we're trying to build. But we're going to incorporate religion and scientific epistemological methods. So let's look at the difference between the two. Science is information that we're receiving from the senses inward. And it's a, so the scientific method when we're performing experiments and we're receiving data and we're analyzing that data, all that stuff is cognitive and we're dealing with symbols and we're dealing with experimental apparatuses and everything is coming from the outside in. So really what the hypothesis uh, that a scientist will do before they set forth a methodology and do, a, and do an experiment is the hypothesis is kind of like a tentative map. They're saying I have a sort of map and at least part of this map is this statement I'm going to make about what is true. I'm going to design an experiment, and the experiment is going to attempt to falsify that statement. And if it falsifies it, that means that was an incorrect. I had an incorrect map. I made an incorrect uh, assumption or assessment. And if the experiment is nullified, then you no longer attempt to integrate or force that idea into the framework that you're building. When we think of religion, we think about revealed knowledge. We think of St. Paul on the road to Damascus, or Buddha on the lotus blossom attaining enlightenment. We're talking about internal, private, personal experiences. So a religious experience, experience or a religious feeling is something that stimulates the internal, um, apperceptive, subjective qualities of the human being. So this is, this is uh, sort of a form of knowledge that comes from within and then it moves out, and it moves out in the sense that we attempt to define and describe these experiences. This type of religious knowledge is studied scientifically under the auspices of psychology. So when 
Carl Jung is analyzing the dreams or the sort of symbolic experiences of his patients or of himself, which he did a lot of personal analysis. What you're dealing with is people who are experiencing something that is innately personal and completely qualitative to them. And they are attempting to make sense of and rationalize it using the cognitive abilities that they've developed and the sort of symbolic patterns that they've uh, inherited from their society and they're trying to communicate it. And sometimes it's through communications through description, sometimes it's through drawings. There's a different way we try to get that, get and translate what is within into an outer form. So that's called deduction, is the, is the motion from a one, which is a oneness of experience, into the many, which is a sort of analysis and description about the different components of that experience. So, so really what religious scriptures are doing in a sort of pre-scientific way is they're attempting to reveal and analyze experiences that people have had internally and subjectively that have had some sort of impact or importance to them. Religion and science are the two epistemological branches. So what does the philosopher do? The philosopher attempts to balance the two. The philosopher is attempting to create a map of what reality is. So in his creating his map, he's going to reference the outer world of nature and attempt to analyze and induce uh, what certain truths are. And then he's also going to investigate and analyze what his own personal and subjective experiences are and what is the meaning of these experiences. Religion and science aren't two things that are separate or opposing against each other, I think, as many people assume. Really, religion and philosophy are complementary. They're two sides to one thing. And the one thing is we all want to find a way to live our lives in harmony with others around us and in harmony with nature and in harmony with our own selves so we can be at peace. In a sense, we're all seeking some type of uh, enhancement in our pattern of living. So that's what a philosopher's goal is to do. And for the philosopher, that's actually going in a direction, specific direction. But as long as you're on the path of self-improvement, in a way, you started the path of being a philosopher. So the philosopher is seeking uh, perfection of life, a perfection of living. And science and religion are two ways that the philosopher pursues this. So they are not fundamentally different things or enemies of each other. We should understand them as the two branches of philosophy. And we should all attempt to be philosophers and unite those two branches so we can explore uh, reality using all the resources that are available to a human being. The outer resources and the inner resources. There's no reason they should be in conflict with each other. Okay, so the third and final uh, dialectic that we're going to consider as we attempt to define and synthesize what is philosophy is going to be the difference between the two forms of knowledge called exoteric and esoteric. So exoteric knowledge is highly associated with science and the method that science uses to gain information. And we're going to look at esoteric as being highly associated with the sort of mysteries and methods of consciousness itself as we explore those things as internal mysteries within ourselves. So esoteric really has to do with mysteries of experiential, experiential mysteries of consciousness. And exoteric really has to do with uh, symbols, the outward symbols and the, and the forms and stories and sort of outer methods that we use, that we take in uh, through our eyes and senses and that we analyze in our brains. So esoteric knowledge is generally uh, considered not something that you can communicate to others. As soon as you wrap something in symbols uh, and forms and sort of patterns of thinking and you try to teach and disseminate 
then some then something becomes exoteric. So we should think of exoteric as something that has degrees. So you could have uh, different types of exoteric knowledge, and the highest level of exoteric knowledge is knowledge that is about esotericism. So the highest form of esoteric knowledge is something that's not communicable, but it is still engaged with on a certain level of certainty by yourself. So that's, that's why it's esoteric. It's not communicable. And then the lowest form, going to a ladder, the lowest form of esoteric knowledge is sort of the highest form of the exoteric knowledge. It's knowledge about what are these experiences like. It's knowledge that will lead the person who is learning it and taking it and assessing it. It's knowledge that will allow them to then unlock and pursue levels of experience within themselves. So exoteric knowledge ultimately allows you to explore esoteric knowledge. And esoteric knowledge ultimately allows you to make sense and organize correctly patterns of exoteric knowledge. So anytime you're dealing with the symbol, it's exoteric. Anytime you're dealing with the meaning and the experience of meaning, you're talking about esoteric knowledge that is actually not possible to be communicated between one person and another through a direct symbolic form or any kind of description or any kind of intellectual analysis because to do that you have to clothe it in symbol and as soon as you're clothing anything in symbol it becomes in a way exoteric. Alright so now let's explicitly consider what's the, the role of philosophy uh, in terms of bridging the gap between exoteric knowledge and esoteric knowledge. So philosophy as I interpret it is like a ladder or a method by which you bridge the gulf or the chasm between attaining knowledge purely from your senses and from outer sources into being able to unlock and release uh, experiences that'll give you knowledge that are esoteric or internal uh, and having to do with consciousness. So now, uh, sort of as a conclusion, we've been looking at philosophy and trying to define what philosophy is and what philosophy does. And in order to define and sort of lay out a framework for how to approach in that question, how to answer that question, we have triangulated philosophy three times, positioning it always as the synthesis. And so now we have a framework of seven overall concepts, philosophy, ontology, epistemology, science, religion, and exoteric and esoteric. And we've defined them all sort of in relation to each other, and we've defined them all in relation to philosophy. So now we can use this sort of seven-part framework that we've just developed of defining concepts in relation to each other. We can say that this is going to be the foundation that we're going to use to progress further in our studies of philosophy. What a philosopher is trying to do is to inform himself about how to perfect the art and science of living. So that's my take anyway. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something from it.